This is Live Wired in Calgary. Good day, everyone. Welcome back to Live Wired in Calgary. I'm your host, Darren Krause, editor at LiveWireCalgary.com. Our program, typically found on the fourth Monday of every month, is done in partnership with the amazing team here at CJSW 90.9 FM. The show is recorded on traditional Treaty 7 land. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge that we live, work, and play on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, that includes the Siksika, Kainai, and Pikani, and the Sutina, the Stony Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation, Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of southern Alberta. I would say that this particular version of council is one that's incredibly focused on making investments that will get us a lot of results that we've been lacking for the last few years. So I'm encouraged to see people are willing to collaborate and work together. And I think it's a result of that collaboration that you're seeing so many things move forward so quickly. The City of Calgary 2022 budget adjustment took center stage last week, with councillors spending the better part of three days hashing out next year's numbers. When the dust settled, Calgary City Council added spending in several areas, public safety, the climate, the downtown, transportation, and snow clearing. It amounted to a 3.87% property tax rate increase. Now that equates to a $6.20 per month increase on the monthly property tax bill for a typical single-family detached homeowner. In this episode, we're going to break down portions of the Calgary budget and let you hear some of the key points made in council in areas where Calgary boosted its budget. Of course, many Calgarians will have different opinions on how this money was spent. But here's a quick clip from Mayor Jyoti Gondek to send us on our way on this budget journey. I believe that Calgarians are the type of people that understand that services need to be paid for. And uh, we are doing everything we can to make sure that they're getting the services they need and deserve. Public safety was one of the biggest additions to the City of Calgary budget for 2022. The budget included cash for both the Calgary Fire Department and the Calgary Police Service. It also included added cash for transit security. The cash will add 10 peace officers for Calgary Transit, 56 firefighters and 6 training officers, and 98 new Calgary Police Service employees, with 25 of those being civilian hires to help expedite HR transformation. First, let's hear from Ward 3 Councillor Jasmine Mian on the importance of the Calgary Transit Peace Officer Request. The proposal that's before you would add another 10 on top of what was in the four-year plan. And this is more than what we planned four years ago, but we're also in a completely different environment than we were four years ago. And uh, there are already, in my opinion, too many reasons to not ride transit in in our city. So uh, I certainly have concerns about displacing vulnerable people who are simply on transit because it's a warm place to be, uh, which is why myself, Councillor Pemner, Councillor Craw, and others will work with administration to maybe understand the feasibility long-term of adding warming stations. But what is before you right now, I think is an important investment to address our current environment. 
both the Calgary Firefighters Association and Calgary Fire Chief Steve Dongworth spoke about the challenges facing Calgary firefighters. They said they were at the breaking point. But it was a question from Ward 1 Councillor Sonia Sharp that brought about this response from Chief Dongworth. I got a little bit of, you know, feedback um, from others and, you know, through social about the fire department being no different than any other business unit. I'd actually like you to comment on that. And the reason is, is because, you know, you referenced the police chief yesterday and some of the things the fire department's going through. I look at your base budget, what you're providing here, and the fact that you did mention that your, you know, your firefighters are going through some, you know, challenges being that the fact that they are first on the scene for a lot of things. So I'd like you to comment on the comment given back to me, if that's okay. Um, It's at this point, Calgary Fire Department Chief Steve Dongworth asked if he could sort of describe some of the things that City of Calgary firefighters deal with on a daily basis here in the city. Thank you. So the Calgary Fire Department is ready 24-7-365 to respond promptly to the needs of all Calgarians experiencing one of the worst days, if not the worst day of their lives. And all of those calls for service are where someone are where someone else determines the timing, the complexity, and the circumstances of the incident. Once we receive the call, the time we have to address the emergency is measured in minutes and seconds, as almost all of those situations are dynamic and only get worse as time passes. With our emergency services partners, we are often running towards situations that many others are running away from. And for so many of those calls, the consequence of not responding quickly and effectively can be life-altering or life-threatening to citizens as well as to firefighters. Sometimes, as in July 2019, that call is the incredibly rare technical rescue of occupants of an elevator in the Calgary Tower after one of the cables that the car was suspended by broke, with the car lurching before coming to rest hundreds of feet above the ground. This rescue was complicated by the fact that the only other elevator servicing the Calgary Tower was out of service, and the only access points to the hoistway were at the top and the bottom of the shaft. It can also be the most terrifying event for firefighters, where a mayday emergency call is made by a fire crew that are either trapped, disoriented, injured, or otherwise incapacitated. This is what we experienced in a fire in a congested, zero-visibility basement space on fire in a bungalow on Elbow Drive in the southwest early in the morning of February 23, 2021. It can be the critical medical interventions that make up over 50% of our call volume and the frequent circumstance where we arrive before our colleagues from AHS EMS to to attempt to return spontaneous circulation to a person or maybe even a child, in cardiac arrest, in a home with their family looking on, traumatized, distressed, and wanting the best for their loved one. It can be the two-alarm fire that we fought in Coach Hill on Sunday night, the opioid overdose that we experience on average 10, 10 times every day, or the interaction we have with the vulnerable person experiencing homelessness downtown or in an encampment anywhere across the city who may also be experiencing psychological health challenges. 
And for all of these situations, the women and men of the Calgary Fire Department do their best to bring their competence and compassion to bear to provide the best resolution possible because they care deeply about this community. The police funding was the most debated, and reasonably so. Calgary went through last year's systemic racism public hearing and the subsequent move to reallocate police funding into the community safety investment framework. The Calgary police also laid out a case, however, that officers were burnt out and under-resourced. They do have the biggest budget of any City of Calgary service at $411 million. Ward 8 Councillor Courtney Walcott, who helped lead the defund to fund movement last year, spoke against the additional funding for police. How we view safety has to change. The Consistently we've had these conversations that the, the police are proactively supporting safety when structurally that isn't even in their own mandate. They are as we've referred to it many times today already, first responders. If we really want to talk about safety in our communities within our own individual mandate as counselors, we actually do have a lot of that power. We spoke a lot about traffic, uh, the, the dangers of speeding. Guess what? Who controls the speed bumps? We talk about community safety. We're the ones that develop and build our neighborhoods. We determine how many people are there, and every time anyone has ever spoken about safety in this city, we all know that feet on the ground, not boots, feet, is actually the number one thing that creates a, a culture, an air, a feeling of being safe, being surrounded by your community members. And I know, I am, I am empathetic, and I have felt it as someone who is, who has spent years teaching in the downtown core, how when we created a space that was empty that is without the same life and vibrancy that we are currently trying to build on another item that we'll be talking to later the downtown strategy that the social disorder that we often reference when talking about safety is is on the rise because there's just nobody around us we have control over these things we have control over how to make people feel safe and we have created a perception that the only way for that safety to exist is with the police, but that is a decision that we're making every day. We make that decision here in council. We make that decision when we call 911 instead of a non-emergency line. We make that decision when we call 911 instead of the dope team. We make that decision when instead of asking someone if they need somewhere to stay or something to eat, that we call the police or call the peace officer, remove them from the train and just remove them somewhere, some, put them somewhere else. All we have power over there is to hold them to account to a level of scrutiny that we have held the entire organization of the city of Calgary to. But the reality is you actually don't have the power to do that. You've never seen their budget. Only police commission has seen their budget. So that level of scrutiny here now to say, hey, you are going to get $9.6 million this year. Maybe we hold back that 6.08 to just see if the programs that we have instituted, funded, that they are supporting are effective, that the strategies of, of city building and vibrancy that we are, we are engaging in are effective. Despite these efforts, 
all of the funding requests in public safety were approved by Calgary city councillors. Earlier this month, Calgary declared a climate emergency. Shortly after that, the initial version of Calgary's budget was rolled out and didn't include any additional cash for Calgary's climate resilience strategy. The council-driven budget asked totaled roughly $10 million, with the bulk of it to add 18 workers to help accelerate the city's climate plans. This was money that was added after the fact because no new cash had originally been included. But councillors Jennifer Wyness and Sonia Sharp were concerned that there wasn't a detailed plan of how this money would be spent, and they felt that it may be just throwing money at the climate issue. But Ward 9 Councillor Giancarlo Carra said it was time for Calgary to put its money where its mouth is. I, I'm deeply sympathetic to members of council who are asking for the plan before we commit dollars. Um, but I also strongly believe that a city's values lie not in its policy statements but in its budget. And as you can see, we we have a very tenuous budgetary situation. Is this spending too much on climate? No. Is this a signal that we're committed? Uh, yes, it is. And we have the opportunity to build what that commitment looks like together. Uh, but I think right now, having declared a climate emergency, uh, if we don't put our money where our mouth is, uh, we are not uh, – we're, we're – I'll use the, the term that's being thrown around a lot these days. We're being performative, and we need to actually uh, put our money where our mouth is. All of the climate strategy funding was approved. I want to move to the downtown strategy funding. If you've been keeping track, you'll know that the city put forward $200 million to fund the new Greater Downtown Strategy. It's part of a 10-year effort to revitalize the downtown and help it evolve into more of a neighborhood-style part of town. Now, if you're really following along, you'll also know that Mayor Gondek called it an oversight on the part of the last city council to not provide any funding for the strategy this year. But a revised request from council came and they sought $55 million in one-time funding from reserves to continue an already oversubscribed program that offered developer incentives for downtown office conversions into residential. This one is very interesting because unlike the others, this investment could actually have a net positive impact on the future tax rate. That's because the goal is to boost the value of downtown buildings that are sitting vacant. Calgary has a downtown vacancy rate now sitting above 30%. But without getting into the weeds on this, that's the biggest driver of massive spikes in small business tax in Calgary and the lagging revenues that are forcing some of this tax burden onto homeowners. Without occupants, those downtown buildings are worth considerably less. Here's the opening on this amendment from Ward 14 Councillor Peter DeMong. 
What's symbolic about this is Demong represents a ward that is predominantly suburban development. Thank you, Your Worship. In the last couple of days, we've talked an awful lot about the last uh, about priorities, priorities in fire, priorities in police, social issues, taxes. I believe that the absolute highest priority of this council is the revitalization of our downtown. The value of this project is that our money is not at risk until the project is done, as it doesn't actually get paid out until a project is completed and to our standards and is given a certificate of occupancy. Now, I'm not saying there's no risk. If there was no risk, I'd mortgage, the, I'd mortgage NMAX on this program. The fact of the matter is we need to work to, to, to revitalize the downtown core and this is a program that seems to have had an immense amount of uptake in the private industry, so much so that the original pro portion has already been oversubscribed, and this portion, if correct, if I'm correct, has com been completely subscribed to as soon as we put it forward as well. This is encouraging from the from from the private enterprise system saying they believe in downtown. We must do our duty in actually encouraging this investment, and this is an excellent way of going forward. In covering City Hall for some time, I too believe this is one of the most important tasks at hand for the City of Calgary. It will be quite interesting to see how this moves forward and how it's funded and developed in the City's next four-year budget cycle. Do you remember the debates over the Guide for Local Area Planning? What about the North Hill Community's Local Area Plan? There was extensive debate over these planning matters over the past year, and it became very divisive, pitting a group set on protecting neighborhood character and certain building form, and those who envisioned a different, denser version of Calgary's inner city. That played out to some degree in another funding ask. It's not a particularly glamorous one, but it tacked on $4.5 million in base tax-supported funding along with the addition of 23 full-time employees. Some of that money will be used to address a big issue identified by citizens, public engagement. Let's hear from Ward 7 Councillor Terry Wong, who talked about what he heard from residents on this topic. Thank you, Your Worship. I have to say as well that my reason for actually joining council was uh, precipitated by discussions at the open house last uh, spring with regards to the guidebook and North Hill plan. And I will say on behalf of the communities that I represent in Ward 7, plus those in, involved in the North Hill plan, they do support the municipal development plan. They do support population densification, especially in established areas. They do support the need for uh, residential intensification. What the, uh, the concerns were expressed at that time was the um, introduction of the guidebook in January and how quick it was to go through an engagement process and whether or not they felt heard or not. Secondly, with regards to the way the public hearing was held on the guidebook and the uh, North Hill plan, same sort of thing, whether or not they were heard. So my, my question is to Jim uh, Dalglish, in the uh, proposal here, it makes reference to, um, if we use the term, community relations team. And the expectation of the community relations team is that to 
enhance, uh, improve, change the protocols of how engagement is done with respect to local area plans, and especially looking back at the guidebook and the North Hill plan where there was an intention to do a lessons learned. Will communities be involved in that lessons learned process as well? Thank you. So, Councillor Wong, I just want to make sure I'm clear on the question. When you refer to the community relations team, uh, are you referring to the uh, the planning liaisons and stakeholder relations teams that's referenced in the uh, in the uh, in the submission? I am. I think I saw a term of a community relations team, but it probably sure. is the same team. And uh, so uh, maybe I'll just uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to transition as well this to uh, to Michael Thompson, GM for uh, for uh, infrastructure services, because that team actually and, and this is a really really important element of this program that uh, that following through on what we do when it comes to local area planning with the investments that we make as a city and being able to continue to work with, with community as we're making those investments as a city is a really, really important uh, element of this program. The, that team will be in uh, Michael Thompson's uh, department, Infrastructure Services. So I'm gonna ask him to, uh, to speak to that piece specifically. Uh, secondly, I do wanna speak to the lessons learned piece because that was a latter part of your question. And just to say that yes, the lessons learned piece will include going back to having Having done pre-work with communities on how they want to be engaged, then going through the engagement work that we actually do, we will then go back to communities through their community associations and through the working groups and through citizens who were prominent in and around those working groups to, to, to conduct that lessons learned process and make sure that we learn everything we can about how that local area plan went from an engagement and from an overall perspective so that we can build that into future local area plans that we do. And in fact, even the next local area plan, because we plan to sequence them such as we, we can use that lessons learned to actually be used in the next local area plan that we do. I want to bring back Ward 8 Councillor Courtney Walcott for a moment, because he dug a little bit deeper into that public engagement aspect. I think one of the big concerns that a lot of folks had during some of these debates is that it was mainly centered around people who are uh, who are most able to get to council meetings or to these working groups. And there was a real desire to meet people where they were at. Let's hear what Walcott has to say. And included is the city's response. I, I want to build a little bit on Councillor Wong's uh, comments because I actually echo so many of, of them from my own experiences in the university. Uh, in particular, communities from across a wide variety of spaces don't always feel engaged in in a way that seems meaningful and that that speaks beyond actually like CAs it actually I, I want it, it's really down to the core of of people who have the capacity to to be represented in, in planning to be represented in these conversations and that that engagement critique it exists beyond planning and it exists within everything we do from public hearings to how we engage digitally. So my question really starts uh, to the community relations aspect of this ask, and it's, is, has there been a strategy or, or that's been proposed, not exactly fleshed out yet, obviously, since this is just beginning, um, to start looking at how we create a much more equitable engagement strategy for members of the community that might not have the capacity to be, say, be a part of CAs or have 
traditional interface with the city as we move forward to create modern planning strategies. Councillor Walcott, through your worship, and uh, I know I'll be asking uh, uh, Teresa Goldstein to uh, jump in on this question, but uh, the direct answer to your question is yes, that is exactly, that, that, that is definitely a significant part of this work, how we engage and how we engage with everybody. Uh, but Teresa, I know you'll, uh, I know you'll have uh, some very specific comments around this very important question. Thank you, uh, GM Douglas. Uh, through your worship to Councillor Wilcott, the um, so to take a step back, these are three pilots. The three that you will see, uh, one approved, the North Hill and the Westbrook communities and the heritage communities are pilot. And the reason that we framed them as pilots was because we wanted to understand how things went and to make adjustments very quickly, pivot. Um, right on the spot where things needed to be improved. And the biggest feedback that we received uh, through the North Hill Local Area Plan was that conversations with communities, and communities I would say is a small C, not just the community association, they wanted deeper dives into their communities and what made their area special. And so one thing we should really point out and be clear uh, the North Hill communities was nine communities so over 40,000 people included in that first local area plan um, so this isn't um, single community planning anymore it's really about that multi-community and we we looked at um, improving that through a cultural lens um, going forward and the deeper dives going forward and so when I say cultural lens uh, the Greater Forest Lawn, a local area plan that's planned to begin um, in a month, um, has uh, received some additional funding from um, a previous innovation ask to add a cultural plan with it. So to engage more broadly than just on that land use piece, but to talk to people um, that don't necessarily become involved in a land use piece, but have a lot of interest um, and uh, are able to contribute on that cultural piece. This did end up being one of the closest votes. It was approved eight to seven. But as I had mentioned, it did draw that line between those who were uncertain about whether or not there was validity in continuing this work, given some of the upheaval, and those who believe that this is definitely the way that Calgary must build in the future. Certainly not everyone's going to be happy with an increase in property taxes. This increase is likely to hit some city businesses the hardest. That's a difficult part of a budget like this one. At a time when Calgary businesses least need another hit to the bottom line, they're going to be asked to shoulder a substantial burden. Calgary Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Deborah Yedlin said, quote, a 3.87% property tax increase is concerning given recent signals that the increase would be less than 1%. Businesses cannot afford the significant hike in property tax, particularly given the lasting impacts of the pandemic, coupled with inflationary pressures that are being felt throughout the economy. There were areas that they did agree with, including the Greater Downtown Plan, investment in affordable housing, and funding to support community vibrancy and public safety. 
Other Calgarians, those who can perhaps least afford it, will also be impacted. Here's a quick quote from Councillor Sonia Sharp to that effect. Sharp voted against this budget. So at the doors, I can say that, you know, you're not hearing, oh, please increase my taxes. Um, But people do want better value for their service. The one thing that going into this election that I was going to strike a balance. I wanted to make sure that my constituents were heard. And when we talk about striking a balance, it is better value for your tax dollars. When we hear comments like put our money where our mouth is, it's not the city's money. It's the taxpayer's money. So we have to justify every decision we make. Add-ons that we're talking about today didn't come from administration. They came from council. So I'm approaching this as in, you know, what's a nice to have and what's a need to have for our citizens right now. And, um, you know, the, the conversations on the door about the police and public safety and things like that. Those are a need to have. Um, some of the stuff we can push off. Well, we have a four year budget cycle coming up. These are conversations we can have amongst councillors to say, you know what, this might be able to be pushed off a little bit. The other thing we have to consider when we talk about these add ons. We are saying that it's an extra $5 a month, and that's it. But for a family that's already $20, like, in the hole, $5 actually puts them over the edge even more. It will be interesting to see the impact of this additional cash. Will Calgarians still be worried about safety on transit? Will there be complaints about snow clearing, one of the areas that we didn't cover in the show, but an area that received an additional $10.5 million? What impact will 10 million have on Calgary's affordable housing stock? Only time will tell. We'll continue following along over the next year leading up to the next four-year budget cycle to see the impact of these dollars. For now, that's a budget wrap for this month. Thanks for joining. Have a safe, enjoyable December, and I wish you the best moving into 2022. So long.